Adam Young. I'm one of the pastors here at Valley Life, and we're so excited that you're here with us as we begin a new series in the book of James. And as we begin this morning, I actually want to invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. Now, you may not realize this, but uh, in the YouVersion Bible app, uh, Valley Life has a presence that you can follow along with. So you can either scan this QR code, or if you would prefer, uh, open up the Bible app, go to the menu, click Live Events, and because your phone knows everything about you, it already knows you're at Valley Life, and so it'll be the first thing at the top of the list. And so you can click Valley Life, and you can follow along with us this morning. All the scriptures that we're going to cover this morning are already laid out there for you, as well as some things that I'll talk about later on in the service, in the announcements, um, and uh, some ways that you can respond and interact right there in the Bible app. So um, as, as we get started this morning, I just have a question for you. Um, how many of you have siblings? Okay. All right. So let's just, let's just see how many of you, that's, that was definitely the majority, if not all, how many of you have three or more siblings? Okay. Anybody have five or more siblings? Okay. So we're dwindling down just a little bit. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this or if you knew this, but Jesus had at least six siblings that we know about. He had at least four brothers and two sisters that we know about. And we actually read about some of them in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 53. And it says, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and are not all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And so what we know is that Mary, as a virgin, conceived and gave birth to Jesus. But she was engaged to a man named Joseph. And after giving birth to Jesus, they went on to have a very normal, regular marriage that produced normally conceived children. And so Jesus had at least four brothers and two sisters. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for just a minute. What do you think it was like to live with Jesus as your older brother? What kind of shadow did Jesus cast over all his other siblings? Like, how often did Mary look at all these boys and girls and be like, uh, your brother Jesus never did that. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Do you think their teachers in school said that kind of stuff? Like, oh. Well, Jesus never did that, right? Can you imagine how rough that would be to grow up with Jesus as your older brother? And think about what it was like in the marriage between Mary and Joseph, okay? So married people with kids, you, you're, gonna, you're gonna relate to this, okay? When your kids do something that annoys you or they say something inappropriate, you look at your spouse because you know where it came from, Right? You know exactly where they got that bad habit or that word they shouldn't have said or that attitude or response. You know where it, it, it comes from. It comes from one of you. And usually all of your children share a little bit of you, some of the good and some of the bad. Now think about this, okay? Joseph didn't have any hand in creating Jesus. So when one of these boys was acting a fool, do you think Mary ever looked at Joseph and was like, you see Jesus? That one's all me. You see these? That's you. Now, 
you know that happened. You know Mary looked at Joseph like, poor Joseph. Like, what is he supposed to do? Like, well, yeah, I guess so. I guess all of their faults are mine, right? And so just this idea of raising baby Jesus and then these brothers and sisters having to live in that kind of shadow. We don't know a lot about Jesus's early life. We know about when the angels showed up to announce his birth. Um, We know about his birth. And then really most of the story picks up uh, when Jesus is about 30 years old when he begins his public ministry. With one exception in Luke chapter 2, do we have any stories about Jesus's childhood? And in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is about 12 years old and Mary and Joseph, they go to Jerusalem and then they're heading out and all of a sudden they realized Jesus is lost. I don't know. Are you allowed to say that? Maybe we should say his parents were lost. Either way. So they don't know where Jesus is and they go frantically looking and they finally find him in the temple sitting with religious leaders and scholars debating theology and everyone is amazed at his insight and wisdom. That's the shadow that these brothers and sisters grow up in. Wonder boy, genius, prodigy prodigy Jesus cast a big shadow. And as you can imagine, it didn't go over very well with his brothers. Look in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. I'm sure the ability that Jesus had to multiply food was great at dinner time. I'm sure there were times Mary was like, Jesus, I just did not have time today. Could you please work something up here? But when the popularity of Jesus started to interrupt dinner, it became a problem. And so hundreds, if not thousands of people are flocking to be around Jesus, to be near him, to see him, to hopefully touch him, to to hear what he has to say. And when it becomes too much, his own family starts to get annoyed. Now his brothers knew there was something special about him. And you can imagine they had heard all the stories. You know that Mary and Joseph had told The whole family sitting around the campfire, stories of when an angel showed up to to announce the birth of Jesus, right? That makes all gender reveals on Facebook look lame. Jesus had an angel from heaven show up to do his, to announce his birth and to, to talk about the miraculous ways in which God was at work through the whole process. So his brothers had heard all the stories. And they had had a front row seat to Jesus doing some incredible things. Look in John chapter 7, starting in verse 3. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Look, his brothers were impressed by what he could do. 
Matter of fact, they actually tell him here, listen, why are you still doing these things in our small hometown? If you really want people to see you, if you really want people to know you and, and know what you're about and know the kinds of things you can do, why are you still in this small town? Go to the big city. Go to Jerusalem so that everybody can see what you're doing. Now, why, why would his brothers tell him to do that? Not for the reason you would think. Look at what it says next in verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. His brothers knew all about him. They knew what he was capable of. They knew what he had done in the past. But knowing about Jesus and actually knowing who he really is, not the same thing. Knowing about Jesus Knowing what he's capable of. Knowing even about what he's done in the past is not the same as actually knowing him. So today we're starting a series in a book of the New Testament called James. Probably, we call it a book, but it's really probably better just to call it a letter. It was written a letter, this letter was written from a pastor uh, to some people that he deeply cares about, who he wants to recognize and live in the power of the gospel. The gospel being the message and good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus and its universe-shattering implications for all of creation, all of humanity, and for you personally. But what makes this letter particularly interesting, this book or letter of James is that it was written by a guy named yeah good job really confusing on that one what makes it really interesting is that James is the half-brother of Jesus we read his name when we read in Matthew 13 that he was one of the brothers of Jesus and here is how he opens up his letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now hold up for just a minute. Now, for those of us accustomed to church and the Bible, this seems pretty normal. This is just how you open up a letter, especially if you're a pastor writing to a group of Christians, like you would say something religious like this to start your letter. Think about it for a minute. What in the world would make the brother of Jesus who did not believe in him call himself a servant and to call his brother Lord? What happened? What made James go from disbelief to seeing his own brother as his Lord. What would make that happen? We get a glimpse of it in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. That's another name for Peter. Then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. Now, there is and always has been a lot of talk and discussion and debate about the resurrection of Jesus and its historical reliability and viability. Um, There are incredible resources out there of men and women who have devoted their lives to taking the science of historical reliability and applying that criteria, the criteria that we'd use for any other event or person or claim from history, to to test its reliability and validity. And there have been a lot of uh, scholars who've done this to the resurrection of Jesus. Some of them are incredible works, hard to read if you haven't been trained in the science of historical reliability, but just incredible works to validate the historical reliability and viability of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. However, I don't know that you can probably come up with any better evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than the life of James. What would make a man believe his brother to be the Son of God? What would make a man believe that Jesus not only pre-existed you, I mean, that's easy if he's your older brother, but pre-existed your parents? What would make you believe that your brother was worthy of all of your life's devotion and worship? What would it, make, what would it take for you to believe that? Most of you raised your hand that you had at least one sibling. Uh, I have three. So family of six, there were four kids. Uh, I'm number three of four. So I have an older sister, an older brother, then me, and then a younger brother. Um, somewhat similar to this situation, my two older siblings are actually my half-siblings. Do you know what would have happened in my family if one of us boys came home from school one day and told the others, hey, I'm the son of God and you should get on your knees and worship me? Probably the same thing that would happen in your family. That boy would have gotten punched in the mouth. (laughs) What would make you believe that your brother was the son of God, the creator of the universe? When James saw his brother resurrected from the dead, it changed everything about his life. His whole world was flipped upside down. All the stories that Mary and Joseph had told him and his other siblings growing up, all of it made sense. All of it was seen in a brand new light. Listen, James and the other brothers, they were impressed with Jesus. I mean, they actually followed him around while he was still alive to watch him do miracles. 
They were probably there when he took the five loaves and the two fish and he fed the crowds and the multitudes. They watched him heal people who had been blind and deaf and lame since birth. They might have been there when he raised a young girl from the dead. They were impressed with what Jesus could do, but they were not convinced until they met Jesus resurrected. And then after the resurrection, we start to get a picture of what begins to take place in the life of James. This is in Acts chapter 1. So this is just after Jesus, he's resurrected from the dead. He spends about 40 days with his followers, providing some more encouragement and instruction before he's going to return to heaven. And at this point in this In the story, Jesus has returned to heaven. It's just the disciples and the followers of Jesus on their own. And they're together and they're praying and they're preparing for what Jesus said was going to come next. And it says, And all these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Everything Jesus had said started to take on new meaning. Once they saw the resurrection, they began waiting in anticipation for what was coming next. Shortly after this moment, the Holy Spirit comes on all those who are there. Uh, They're empowered to share the gospel message in other languages to a massive crowd of foreigners who are in Jerusalem for a special holiday festival. Peter gets up and preaches the first Christian sermon and 3,000 people give their hearts and their lives in devotion to Jesus that day. And the very first church was born in Jerusalem. And do you know who became the pastor of that church? James. Do you know who became the predominant leader of the Christian movement in the first century? James. Even Paul himself, when he was beginning his ministry, went to go sit under, to talk with, and to get confirmation from James before he began taking his ministry and sharing the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Paul had James's blessing on his ministry. Now, there are two men in the book, in the New Testament, called James. Uh, Eventually, both of them come to follow Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, he's a little late to the party. James, one of the 12 disciples. So we read about that James a lot in the Gospels. He's one of the earlier followers of Jesus, and he's the brother to John. But what we also read in the story of Acts is that that James... One of the original 12, the brother of John, is killed very early in the beginning of the Christian church. And it is the other James, the brother of Jesus, who takes the primary leadership role, who helps to bring Christians together, to create the strongest and the largest church in Jerusalem, who becomes a missionary sending agency to towns and cities and villages all throughout the Roman Empire, all under the leadership of James. But what we learn not through the, 
the Bible because the story of Acts actually ends before we hear about what, what the ultimate end is to James, the brother of Jesus. But we have other historical records that tell us that James continued throughout the rest of his life to be a passionate follower and preacher of Jesus. Not just because he was his brother, but because he was his Lord and Savior. And as we know, Jesus stepped on a lot of toes, and he was killed because of it. James followed in his brother's footsteps by stepping on toes with his constant preaching in Jerusalem. Eventually, he made enough of the Jewish leaders mad, probably some of the very same ones who had murdered his brother. And they took him to the top of the temple, and they threw him off the 60-foot walls. To their frustration, he survived, barely. So they finished the job when they found him at the bottom of the wall. One of the historical accounts that we have of his martyrdom tells us that as they were about to finish the job, James was praying for these men. Just as his brother Jesus had done from the cross as he prayed for his executioners. And so today's an introduction. It's an introduction to the man James and to the book of James. And over the next few months, we as a church are going to walk through his letter that he's going to write to these churches that he dearly loves and provides some care and leadership for. Now, I know that today we've literally covered one verse. Don't let that deceive you about how fast we're going through the rest of the book, I promise. Okay, we'd be here to like 2026. We won't. Uh, we're on average gonna do about two to three messages per chapter. James is only five chapters long, and depending on how you personally read, you can read it out loud in between 12 and 15 minutes. Here's what I challenge you to do. As we, as a church, are going through the book of James, my challenge to you is to read it along with us. There's a lot of ways you could do it. I mean, it takes 12 to 15 minutes to read. You could literally read it every day while we're doing this study. And imagine how firm of a grasp you'd have on the book and its message if you read it every day. Or you could break it up. You could read one chapter a day, and even if you miss a day or two a week, it happens to us all, you could still read the whole thing once a week as we progress through. Or maybe you want to go slower, and it would be more comfortable for you, and you want to read just a, a couple verses uh, at a time to really just stop and think and reflect on it. Whatever's a comfortable pace for you, I'd challenge you, read the book of James along with us as we walk through it together. And as you're going, find some verses that stick out to you and memorize them. Just stop and when the Lord really uses one of those verses to tug on your heart in an encouraging or a challenging way, take a minute to just work on memorizing it something that you can have for your journey and your walk in the future. And so as we continue this study together, here's what you're going to find in the book of James. James is passionate about people seeing the significance of the gospel and how it totally transforms lives. And you can imagine why. Just think about what the resurrection of Jesus did to his life. 
He wants you to know how significant the resurrection is and how it should change everything about you. Here's what you'll also uh, come to find as you read James. James expects us to be all in. He does not have much patience for people who say they follow Jesus with their words, but their actions don't back it up. And think about the perspective he's coming from. The resurrection radically changed his life. And he would say to us, if you believe in the resurrection, how does it not change everything about you? If you really do believe it, it should transform you from the inside out. No part of your life should be unaffected by the resurrection. And James struggles with people who say one thing about what they believe, but their actions don't reveal it. And unlike Paul, who we're accustomed to reading, Paul goes to great lengths and spends a lot of time in his letters to explain the gospel and to break it apart to show you what it means. James, on the other hand, already assumes that you know the gospel and he's going to show you what your life should look like if you really do believe it. So there's one last little part to verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So let me kind of explain this. So right after this new church is birthed in Acts, um, very early on, the Christians face some pretty severe persecution from the same people who executed Jesus in Jerusalem. And what we read in Acts is a man named Stephen who becomes the first Christian martyr. Because of his boldness for proclaiming the truth and the message about Jesus and his resurrection, because he steps on some toes, he is murdered for his preaching. And what Acts tells us is that when that happens, Christians scatter. Now, they don't actually run out of fear, but what we're actually told is that they go back to their original homeland, preaching about Jesus on the way. So if you remember, when the Holy Spirit falls at the beginning of Acts, there are thousands of foreigners in Jerusalem for a holiday festival. And once they hear the message of Jesus, they kind of stick around for a little while until Stephen gets murdered, and they're like, probably time to go home. And they do, but, but not out of fear, because they keep preaching about Jesus. And we see the gospel and the growth of the church begin in that moment. And so what James is doing is James is writing a letter as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem to Christians throughout these new towns and villages where new little churches are popping up. Still early in the life of Christianity, because by all the evidence we have, James is the very first New Testament document written. The letter of James was written before even the Gospels were written. It's the first written document we have. And so he is writing to these groups, to these groups of Christians in towns and villages all throughout the Mediterranean. And what he's doing is he's drawing on Old Testament Jewish language about the dispersion and the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's taken some, some traditional language to describe what he's doing. He's writing a letter of encouragement and challenge to Christians who have been spread throughout 
these towns and villages. And although James was not writing to you, because you weren't alive in the 40s of the first century, as God's inspired word, though it wasn't written to you, in many ways it was written for you. And as we take this journey together through the book of James, we're going to discover how the gospel impacts our lives, every part of our lives. And so wherever you find yourself today, maybe like James before the resurrection, Jesus seems like an interesting guy. Sounds like he can do some cool stuff. I'm impressed, but I'm not convinced. Or maybe you sit here today as someone who has experienced the resurrected Jesus in your life, who's transformed everything about you. This letter is for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word that you provided to us through the letter of James. Jesus, I just thank you for your patience. The patience that you had for your brother. That even though he didn't believe in you, even though he was annoyed with you, even though that he said to other people that he thought you were out of, out of your mind, that you had patience, and that after your resurrection, you made a special point to appear to him. Jesus, thank you for having patience with us. Because sometimes it takes our heart a little longer to catch up to our mind. Sometimes it takes our actions a while to catch up to our hearts. So thank you for being patient with us. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment as we enter into a time of response. It's a time to respond to who Jesus is and how he has revealed himself. It's a time to respond to the truth of the gospel. And right now the question is, what will you do about the resurrection? Will the resurrection of Jesus be enough for you to go all in? Will you give everything to him because he gave it all for you on the cross? And as you think and ponder that, we're going to enter into a time of singing. And if you need to just stay in your seat, take some time to think and to pray, then this is our open invitation for you to do that. If you'd like to stand and sing and lift your hands in celebration and worship of the resurrection, then you do that. In the back of the room is our communion table where we can take the bread and the cup to commemorate the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. When his body was broken, much like the bread that we eat, when his blood was poured out, much like the cup that we drink, and we celebrate what he has done for us. So however is most appropriate for you in this moment, will you respond? Lord, thank you. Would you be honored by the way in which we respond to you this morning? Would you move in our hearts as we respond to the truth of the resurrection? And it's all life-transforming power. Thank you for your grace.